a good friend. Um, I didn't know him at the time in college. He's uh, one of my closest friends now. He is a brilliant guy. He serves as a a church planter. And in terms of intellect and understanding, even in college, he just was had this phenomenal intellect and could articulate the gospel and share things about the Lord. He could debate very well. He still does. Um, and articulate very well. And yet he noticed that he had some issues, particularly in relationships particularly as he connected with others that he struggled quite a bit. And he realized that there was a whole aspect of life that it felt to him like he was disconnected from, that he had this brilliant intellect right here, still does, and yet here he was clueless. He had no, maybe you've known some people like that, almost no sense of who he is or his emotional life, no, no sense of, of how people read him or interact with him. He didn't know himself and he didn't know his heart and emotions and it was creating issues in, in relationship, this was especially in college, that he was so disconnected from this part of his life. Now, he is about my same age. He's a Gen Xer. And so our parents and most of our pastors and spiritual mentors and so forth, they are baby boomers, and I'm generalizing here. But oftentimes, when it comes to the issue of emotions and how we handle our emotions, many of my spiritual mentors, not so much my parents, but many of my spiritual mentors and pastors, while I heard it preaching or talked about emotions, whether I read it in books from some of my mentors, that, um, that there was one consistent message related to emotions. Do you know what it was? They cannot be trusted. Right? You ever heard that? I still hear it today. I still read it today. And, and yes, there is a, some point and some value in this because if, for example, if you, maybe you're not feeling the love of God at this particular moment, I think that's when you turn to Scripture and say, I, I can't feel it, God, but, but I know it. I, I, I know it. I, I read it in Scripture. You've told me again and again, I'm going to choose to believe, despite my emotions, that you love me. However, that can be, and I think has several times, been overstated. That so much of it's overstated that we devalue, find no value in our emotional life. I mean, after all, Jesus did say, love God with all your mind and body, right? What? What? Oh, I forgot about that. Did he say that? Where, where do you think emotions are from? I think sometimes we think they're from the fall, right? And they're always bad, and they're always unhealthy. But where are our emotions from? <laughs> Boy, you guys need this sermon. God! God! 
knit us together. And yes, he gave us brain matter. Yes, he wants us to love him with all of our minds, absolutely to use our head. What else did he give us? A soul, a heart, to love him with passion, to take these emotions and respond back to him with all of our hearts, to love the Lord your God with all of your, he even puts it first, heart right there. Did Jesus experience emotion? No, no, he just walked around. Your sins are forgiven and you are healed. No! He wept over Israel. God's created us with this this heart to be emotional people. To love him with everything we've got. Yes, can emotions be expressed in such a way that are broken and hurtful. Guess what? So can thoughts and ideas. Everything that we have, even unfortunately gifts of God, even gifts can be taken and twisted and used in an unhealthy way. That does not mean that they're bad. It means that we need to take them and allow God to shepherd everything that he gives us. I've wanted to preach a series in Psalms in part because they are so unique in the Old and New Testament. They are the songbook of the people of God. They are the songbook, they are poetry, and they come, and it, there, there's wonderful theology in the Psalms. There, there is, but also there's this incredible emotion There's angst, there's joy, there's love, there's even hatred. I'm not saying it's all good. But there's times when the psalmist goes, ah! And we're meant to feel that. And apparently God didn't go, ooh, that's bad. We're gonna keep that out of the Old Testament. No, he left it in the Old Testament for there, for us to go, wow. The psalmist is going, ah! What do we do with that? Oftentimes, my my preaching style, I ask you to think and respond and to answer questions. Well, and you answer even when I don't want you to answer sometimes, rhetorical (laughs) questions. But today we're we're gonna begin this series and I'm gonna ask you, yes, to think. We'll always do that. He's given us brain matter. He wants us to use it. But I wanna invite you to feel too. To feel the word to feel the the heart of the the psalmist. So you know what my friend did? My friend, he decided he was so disconnected from his heart and his emotions that he opened to the book of Psalms. And through all the Psalms, 150, there's a lot of them, through all the Psalms, he recorded all the emotions that were in the Psalms. And you know, it was, um, it was John Calvin, whom we think is very intellectual, who he was. John Calvin said of the Psalter, the book of Psalms, that the Psalms is an anatomy of all the parts of the soul. And in the Psalms, my friend found 
the heart of the Father. And he also found his own heart, the anatomy of the soul, his own, how God has knit him together and, and wants to take and touch the emotions and allow the emotions to respond back to him in relationship. So we're going to begin with uh, the, the psalm that is perhaps uh, many of your favorite psalm. I thought we'd start with the gold standard there. Psalm 23, if you would turn there. And I want you to find it and, and hold your finger in that. But for, for this time, I, I'd like you, for the purposes of feeling the psalm, I want you to close your eyes for just a moment. And I'm going to read it to you, and I'm, I'll throw in some King James language because these modern translations just don't connect with the Psalms like King James does. All right, I'll just throw in a little bit of language there. And then I'm going to ask you, would you, would you listen not at first for content? Would you, would you listen primarily for emotion? David was writing this. Do listen to the meditation of David's heart to the Lord. The Lord, he is my shepherd. I shall not want. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures, a tender grass, He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores, refreshes, renews my soul. He leads me. He guides me along paths of righteousness, the right paths. For his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the shadow of death, through the darkest of valleys, I will fear no evil. For you, Father, are with me. Your rod. And your staff, they comfort me. You, Father, prepare a table before me, even in the midst of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Overflows. Surely your goodness, your mercy, your love, your loving kindness will follow, will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord to the end of all my days. 
forever. So, what'd you feel? What'd you feel from David? Not a rhetorical question. This one I want you to answer. Peace, yes, beautiful peace, good. What? Safety? Yes, yes, good. What else? Comfort, absolutely, yeah. What's that? Being close, closeness, yes, great. Intimacy, yes. Love, absolutely, what else? Compassion, yes, you guys felt it, didn't you? This, this overwhelming sense of gratitude. Yes, we're going to get to some psalms that cry out in angst, but in this psalm, and perhaps that's why it's so many of our favorites, just the sense of gratitude that David feels. Now think of it like this. David, before he was a king in Israel, what was he? He was a shepherd. And so what he was saying, and remember, this is a psalm. It was saying in Israel. So this was not just him in an ivory tower writing a poem for himself. He was writing this for the people of God. And what was he saying? He sang people. I have found that the God of the universe, the one who knit all of this together, he is my good shepherd. He walks with me day in and day out. He provides, fill in all the emotions that you shared, comfort and peace and safety, right? Tranquility and gratitude. He's saying, I have found him. There was a time that I didn't know him, but now I have found him. This, this incredible testimony of who God is. And yet, remember, this was for the people of God. And so it's not only a testimony on David's part. I found the Lord, and he is my good shepherd. But you know what else it is? It's an invitation. He's saying, you, doesn't matter who you are, you can have the God of the universe who provides all these things for you. This psalm is this invitation for you and I to have the Father in heaven as our good shepherd. Paul, uh, um, David was that good shepherd. He cared for their sheep when they want, wandered off. He went after them when there was a, a, an animal that, that came to get the sheep for food. He defended them. He said, like that, that can be your father in heaven for you. If you would but invite him into your life, it's the best life you'll ever you want to know the benefits of this life? Let's read that psalm again. Look at that first verse there. The Lord is my shepherd. That is the, the motif that is guiding, the, the metaphor that's there. And he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, before I... 
wanted to make sure I connected with this. The, this motif, shepherding here, is um, true in many ways for the people of Israel and for you and I. In fact, at one point, Isaiah uses the motif in a different way. He says this, Isaiah 53, 6. Um, we all, like sheep, have what? We've gone astray. We've gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, part of the human condition, part of what we do in life. God has created us. He wants to walk with us as his good shepherd. However, he gives us the ability to turn away. And part of the human condition is each of us has turned away to our own way and then the Lord has laid on him. Who? Isaiah doesn't even know who. We know who. Jesus laid on him the iniquity of his all. He says if we've all turned away However, because of Christ Jesus, this is an invitation that we would turn back to the lover of our soul, to the good shepherd, and walk with him. So what are the benefits? The first one is this. It's an invitation to refresh, to renew, to restore your soul. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Again, testimony of David, invitation. He refreshes my soul. Have you ever thought that the Lord's desire is that you would be refreshed by his presence? If there's one thing true about this world, is that there's so many aspects in this world that bring a weariness to the soul. Yes? We can all, we work day in, day out, family, relationships, struggles, accidents, sin, all that, our sin, other people's sin, and all of that is weary, weary, weary. We get that weariness in the soul. And what do we do with that weariness? Nothing. So many of us, we just live, we, we are the walking weary, day in, day out, doesn't matter if it's Monday, doesn't matter if it's Friday, we just, we carry that weariness, and we don't know what to do with it. The Sabbath, oh, that's a thing of the past, and we carry that weariness. And sometimes I think that we think, if we think of God in this circumstance, we think of God calling, which he does. We think of the, what he wants us to work for him, which he does. But we see him as that taskmaster, not the good shepherd that says, okay, good. Now, would you let me lead you to the places that, that tender grass, that's the literal translation, the, that, that still, that quiet water. And would you re, let me renew your soul? Guess what? Entertainment, it's not gonna re, renew your soul. A really good movie, I love really good movies. They're not gonna renew our soul. Vacation, 
especially when you have three teenagers, they do not renew your soul. We put all these things in there to to get away from work, but we're missing the good shepherd's way of renewing our soul. What did Jesus do, right? When Jesus, there was talk about manifest presence. Jesus had the presence, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He would teach or he would heal. And when he would do that, power, presence would go from him. And what would Jesus do? He had the sweet video game council and he would just rock, right? Just renew his soul that way? Of course not. What would he do? He would get with the Father. Was Jesus weary from days? He was. This world is a weary place. All of us get weary. But he knew the source of restoration. He knew the source of renewal. It was in the manifest presence of the Father. And he taught his disciples to do that. And he wants you and I to learn that. Jeremiah 31, the heart of the Father, I will refresh the weary. I will refresh you. But you gotta come to me. I will satisfy the faith, but we must come to the Father and be with the Father. There's an ancient Jewish story. It's like a parable. And I thought it was uh, uh, very applicable for for this point. The, The story goes that there was a a four-year-old boy named Mordecai who refused to attend school and study Hebrew. Whenever his parents tried to immerse his mind in the Torah, which is the word of God, he would sneak away and play on the swing set. Four-year-old boy. Every form of persuasion failed. Mordecai remained stubborn and defiant. The exasperated parents even brought him to a famous psychiatrist, but that also proved futile. Nothing changed the young boy's heart, which seemed to grow more and more distant from his parents, lonely and hardened every week. Finally, in utter desperation, Mordecai's parents brought him to the local rabbi, a warm and wise spiritual guide. As the parents explained their plight, pouring out their frustration and desperation and despair, the rabbi listened intently without saying a word. Then without saying a word, he gently picked up Mordecai, took him in his arms and held him close to his chest. The rabbi held Mordecai close enough and tight enough so that the young boy could feel the safe rhythmic beating of the rabbi's heart. Then still without a word, he gently handed the child back to his parents. From that point on, Mordecai listened to his parents, studied the Torah, and when it was appropriate, he slipped away to play on the swing set. When was the last time you laid your head on the chest of your heavenly father. You know, it's got to be quiet to hear a heartbeat. When was the last time you really let the father renew your soul? It's an invitation. Second part of this invitation 
is guidance. Guidance. Look at the second part of verse 3, Psalm 23, 3a. He leads, he guides me along the path, right paths for his namesake. Or many of us know it, the paths of righteousness. And so if you stay with the motif of the shepherd and sheep, you, you imagine the, the shepherd is laying out those right, and he sees the, the, the not good past, the dangers. No, 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 hey. And he uses his staff to guide and direct the sheep into, into those bad decisions, right? Sheep aren't making decisions. If you apply it to humankind, right, you and I, there is a moral quality about it, isn't it? There's a, a right decision part about that. And he's saying that the good shepherd, if you let me, my staff, I, I'll tap you on the shoulder and say, bad decision, bad words, bad direction. I don't know about you, but the times that I'm most tempted to make bad decisions is when bad decisions have been made against me, right? Or the, there's times when I, when I hurt, when someone has hurt me, that's the time, what do I want to do? I want to hurt back. I, I want them to hurt. And even it's not even about justice as we talked about last week. No, no, it's not just, I just want to hurt back because that, that's the emotional response sometimes. That's when our emotions can get... Um, us in trouble is because we just want them to know how they hurt us. And what's the father's invitation here? He's saying, would you give those emotions to me? Would you let me shepherd your heart? Would you let me shepherd those emotions? Because when you make the right decision, when you, you choose the right path, when you say, God, help, I'm hurt, I'm angry, help, God. Instead of make that bad choice, yell those bad words, do that bad action, we give those to God, and then we make the good choice, the right choice, and we honor his name. But when we respond in the flesh, we dishonor his name. He's saying, let me shepherd your emotions. I think this is a good point in the psalm. This motif of shepherd and sheep is, is through the whole, whole Old Testament, valued by the people of Israel, right? They, they believe this. They live this not just from the psalm, but other places. And then along comes a rabbi, and he says this, I am the good shepherd. I'm he. Can you imagine what that first audience of Jesus, remember they were Jews. They knew the Old Testament. They knew these things. They value, just like you and I do the Psalms and other places. And Jesus says, that good shepherd, I'm he. He's saying, I'm the one that will provide for your needs. I'm the one that will care for you. And you know how close that you get to know me? Do you know how close that you get to walk with me and the Father? Well, I'll tell you. 
I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. I'll teach you my voice. I'll teach you to recognize when I'm speaking, when I'm tapping, when I'm nudging, when I'm encouraging, when I'm convicting. And you're gonna know me so good just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And by the way, that rebelliousness, that wandering, I'm gonna pursue you. That's why I laid my life down on the cross. So that even though you've turned away that from the council, you can come back to me. Jesus wants to be that good shepherd. Third part of this invitation, verse four. Even though I walk through the darkest of valleys. It's the most literal translation there. The shadow of death. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's an invitation. You guys heard it, you felt it right. An invitation to comfort in the midst of life's challenges. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Imagine the, if you go, stay with this sheep analogy, that there's a time when they would have to go through a valley or a ravine, and maybe it's dusk, and they're moving along, and the shadows are, are deep, the deepest. There's no sight. The sheep can't know where they're going, okay? And there could be all manner of danger lurking around as they follow the path through the ravine. There could be wolves. There could be bandits, right? There could be a flash flood. All of those dangers that are there. But he's saying, I will not fear, even in the midst of that dark ravine, because, Why? It's a four-letter word. With. The shepherd, he's, he's with me. He knows the dangers. He knows the challenges. He knows, he sees even in the darkness. Trust him with your life. And those instruments that he uses the rod. Think of that uh, like a, a nightstick that a, a uh, peace officer in London would carry, right? That that rod he would carry in his belt, and if there's ever a danger, he'd pull that out and defend his sheep. And then the staff, that was a walking stick for the shepherds, but also he used them to tap them on the side, direct guide, sometimes discipline, don't, no, that's not good, don't go there, don't eat that, that's not good. All of that provides that comfort. There's a, a neat Hebrew word called nakem, nakem, and it means a deep compassion and a deep empathy. David is saying, I've found the good shepherd to have a deep empathy for me and for you and I. I'd called Beth, our, our worship arts director, and I said, can I use you in an analogy? And she said, yes, right away, not knowing that I wanted to make fun of her a little bit as well. 
all right? But she still granted me per- permission. You know, Beth is, she's the artsy, creative spirit kind, right? They tend to be in touch with their emotions, right? As Beth is, right? It flows from Beth in different times. And she says sometimes when she really needs to cry out to the Lord, on Colorado College, which she lives near, she goes to uh, Shove Chapel, I think is how you say it. And that chapel is there. It's got a Steinway piano, and no one ever goes there. Colorado College, right? So it's a chapel just for Beth. Just for Beth. And she can go there whenever she wants. And she said that's when she pours out her heart to the Lord. And she says it doesn't happen this way, but this is how I imagine it in my head. I imagine her playing that Steinway piano just going, because ah! she's Beth, right? Now, what do you think the father's heart and reaction to the ah is buck up, buttercup. <laughs> Stop your whining, Beth. I mean, I say that to her. No, I don't really. What do you think? Yes, he is a God of Nikem, of deep empathy. Yes, he wraps his arms around her and says, I love you, pour it out, I get it. I'm the right place, I care for you, I love you. I will shepherd this moment. You might not understand, you might be struggling, but entrust me with that. I will comfort you. David is saying, I found that, oh David. He was that artsy kind of guy too, right? He played an instrument, he sang, and he would go, why? He said, do you know that he can shepherd your heart as well? He loves you. He says, bring to me all of that. And you will feel my Now, the metaphor, there is a a subtle change in the metaphor in the Psalms. In Psalm 23, we we think of it always in context of a good shepherd, but there's this this second metaphor, and I don't know if you noticed it, but we'll we'll, we'll read it again. It actually moves from this idea to shepherd and sheep to an idea of a good friend or neighbor who provides good hospitality, good hospitality. In fact, that's also true all through the Old and New Testament. You might not know this. This Really, it was significant for me one time when I was wrestling with whether Jesus was really my friend. That made a difference to me. I knew him as my Savior and as my Lord. I really wrestled with this, is he my friend? I mean, it's too much to ask that God the Father would be my friend, but how about Jesus? You know, it was said in in, uh, James 2.23 about Abraham's relationship with the Father. It says, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called Isn't that amazing? 
incredible? Yet at one point, Jesus said, I no longer call you servants. You, you know the family business now. I call you my, my friends. Do you see in this, look at uh, verse five. There's this neighbor, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Some think that this is, if you go with the analogy of, a, of God being that gracious host and he's got all the, the, the crud of your life, the enemies of your life, they're tied up in the corner. And he's got you at the table, and then he takes oil. Oil was like a, it was a sign of hospitality. Sometimes it was a sign of service that we talk a lot about, a commissioning for a ministry. But there's other times when it was a form of hospitality, like in the Midwest, if it's a hot day, then oftentimes um, the gracious host will bring a cold glass of lemonade, right? Good host. And he's saying that oil, that, that, that sweet-smelling oil, sign of hospitality, the father invites us to his table and then the enemies are tied up in the corner. He anoints our head and then he just gives us enough food to get by. Just, just enough. Is that what the psalm says? <laughs> what does the psalm say? You've got a cup, all right? Are you at the table? Remember, don't stay with sheep and shepherd because then we have sheep fit, sitting at the table and that just doesn't work, all right? Now go to yourself. Imagine yourself and you've got a cup and how full is that cup? Oh, that is the good life. The, the bounty of God. His resources. His grace his mercy, his love, his kindness, all of that, as well it implies this physical bounty, physical that needs, you need the bread of life. Yes, you need that and your cup. It's not half full. You never have to say, Father, can I have another? Because as that gracious host, he just keeps, oh, no, no, oh, It's that overflowing cup. Friends, that's called the good life. That's an invitation to the good life. Jesus said, I have this verse in the message because I really like how Eugene Peterson translates it. A thief is only there to steal and to kill and destroy. That's how you recognize the voice and the work of the enemy of our souls is when he's trying to uh, kill or, or dissipate or destroy you. Jesus says, listen to my heart. I come so that they, you and I, can have real and eternal life. Resurrection life. Kingdom life eternal life that begins in the here and now. More and better life than they ever dreamed of. And part of that, I 
I love this. This is perhaps some of your favorite lines of this. Surely your goodness and your love, part of the bounty, or mercy, or tender mercy, will follow, will pursue. Isn't that great? Like we often think we're, we're trying so hard to go after the love of God and the mercy of God and the tender mercies of God. And David says, no, don't you know? They're like the sheepdogs. They pursue you. They go after you. His love and mercy is after you. Would you but stop and wait and drink and receive of God's lavished grace that's overflowing for you. And then finally, it's an invitation to the presence of God, that manifest presence that we're talking about. Verse six, surely the goodness and the love will follow, will pursue me, all the days of my life, there's not a day that goes by, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's the manifest presence. And now in the now imagine this is this is David. Remember, there's another psalm, Psalm 51, that David composed, and that was in the midst of his his brokenness and his sin with Bathsheba and his murder of her husband. And as part of that confession, this is what he prayed. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. He's saying, don't that, that is better than life. Don't please God, anything but that, don't, Take that presence because that is the heart of this good life. That is the heart that you and I were created to walk in this deep fellowship and communion with our good shepherd. And life is brokenness and continual weary, weariness without relief when we wander away and we're not connected to our creator. And he says, no, don't you, don't you hear that the presence, that's how he knit you together with this longing of that manifest presence where we identify that presence in every area of our life and right there, that's the good life that the good shepherd pours into you and I. One more story that I'll leave you with. It's another parable, a more modern day parable, but stays with this. He said a shepherd, it's from a pastor, Leith Anderson, he said a shepherd notches the ear of a lamb born to his flock and has a rightful ownership. So if it's his, if it's his uh, lamb, he'll notch the ear, so that's my, that's my notch, it's mine. Yet the lamb deliberately walks away. The shepherd searches near and far to find the lamb. A long time later, he finds the lamb, but the lamb is no longer a baby. It's grown into a sheep, and it's 
up in an auction for sale. And the shepherd recognizes his mark on the sheep's ear. He goes to the auctioneer and says, I can see the mark. That sheep is mine. But the auctioneer says, listen, uh uh-uh, finders keepers. You must bid and pay just like anybody else, regardless of the notch. So the shepherd bids and actually ends up paying this outrageous price for this one sheep, far above any reasonable market value, in order to get his lamb. And now he has double rights on the sheep. It was him, his lamb, when it was born. Now it was his sheep because he redeemed it. He bought it back. Same is true of you and I. We were knit together. Life with the good shepherd. All have gone astray and yet he sends his son Jesus to pay an absolute outrageous price to redeem us back and invites us into the fold again. Let's pray.